Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember as a young boy making an impact on you? Oh, okay. So if, if we go all the way back to where we started, when I was my childhood in Cupertino, there was a brand called Powell Peralta. And they were incredible because their skateboard graphics were just like gorgeous at the time. And they hired like this incredible illustrator to do them all. But they had their own typeface. And, you know, it was just like so expertly produced every single part of it, you know, down to like the way they would brand their urethane wheels and their T-shirts and the graphics and every little accessory they would make was like so consistent and so perfect and use the same typography, same kind of color palette. You, you would know it was one of their products from a mile away, and, you know, and it really felt like it came from one hand. You know, their stuff was just so cool, you know, and from a mile away, you would knew, you knew it was them and it was just so powerful. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Hiroki Asai, the global head of marketing for Airbnb. Airbnb is, of course, the 15-year-old company that has changed travel forever. And just maybe, its impact on how we live will be even greater. Airbnb's business is on fire. 100 million bookings in the most recent quarter, which is an all-time high. Revenue exceeded a billion and a half in the quarter, up 70% from a year ago, and well above pre-pandemic levels. My guest, Hiroki, is an unusual global head of marketing. He studied art and design at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo and spent 18 years at Apple, rising to become VP Global Marketing Communications and Executive Creative Director. He has been Global Head of Marketing at Airbnb for almost two years and also serves as an advisor to SY Partners, a renowned consulting firm. This is my conversation with a native Californian, a surfer and a dad, Hiroki Asai. Hiroki, welcome to the CMO Podcast. You are the father of three boys who all love to surf, as you do. Tell us why surfing is such an important part of your relationship with your boys. Ah, a great question. Good opener. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> we'll get to ball. the other stuff. This is the important stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's great. Yeah, I started them all in the water really, really young. Two of the three do it. Are, my third is um, young. He's still 10, so he's still kind of showing mild interest in it. But no, we, we uh, my wife and I really wanted them to be out in nature at a young age. So I think it's just, you know, we've always wanted them to have a really, really strong connection to nature and to the, you know, to the outside world um, and just to develop a passion for being outside. And surfing kind of came naturally to me. Uh, so I was lucky. I was lucky that they really like it. So how did your love of surfing start? Uh, well, I guess it, you know, it's, uh, I grew up in the South Bay in Cupertino, California, mm-hmm. which is about an hour South of where I live now in San Francisco. And, uh, um, I was just always outside, 
you know, I, I love doing things outside. And from a young age, I had this passion for skateboarding and for surfing, any kind of board sports. And, and I think I, I more just fell in love with not only the sport, but just the, the whole subculture of it. You know, this was all pre-internet. So it was, you know, largely driven by fashion and, um, you know, hard goods, and soft goods and the media, you know, that'd be out there, the magazines and the imagery of it. So mm -hmm. it was all kind of intoxicating to me. Uh, and I just loved, it. I just loved, you know, being outside and, and, and doing it. I would like to start with your career path before moving into your role at Airbnb. Sure. As you said, you, you grew up in Cupertino, mm -hmm. and I've read that you used a bicycle in the apricot orchards next to <laughs> Apple's very first campus. So, I, you know, it kind of seems like you were destined to work there. Did you think about that as a young kid riding your bike through the apricot orchards? No, I had no clue. I, you know, it, it all kind of makes sense looking backwards, but no, I had no clue. It was funny because I went to a kind of a, a progressive school because I wasn't that great at traditional academics. I went to this um, more of a progressive school uh, for elementary school. And we were one of the test schools um, in my sixth grade class that had um, apples in the class. And so we would take our hmm. some of our um, math and science tests um, on computers, which we were one of the first kind of schools to have that. So there's a lot of little interesting connections and strings that I have back to Apple. But yeah, I, I grew up in Cupertino, um, about a mile or so from the uh, the old campus on Infinity Loop on De Anza Boulevard. And yeah, it was it was mostly orchards back then growing up. And uh, but you know, my parents still live there and uh, mm. still have that house. But yeah, there are wow. there are strong connections. So where did your love for design and graphic arts begin? I knew you studied that at, at Cal Poly. Where mm -hmm. did that, what was the germination of that? So as a kid, I was really, really into skateboarding. I loved it. And, uh, you know, my kind of fondest memories were going to the local skate shop and taking a look at the wall of skateboards on the way, you know, beautiful colors and I would remember looking down at the counter and just seeing all the beautiful colors of the urethane wheels and all the graphics on the skateboards. And I just really loved, loved, you know, I could spend hours just staring at that wall and like looking at all the graphics and the typography and the colors and the materials. And, and I think that's, that was maybe the start of it. You know, that was maybe the start of it. My, my sister also studied design too. She's six years older. And so those, those conversations were kind of around the house. Um, but I think it was just my love for, for imagery and, and seeing, uh, all of that early skate imagery is what really kind of got me interested in graphic design. Now you were 18 years or so at Apple. You were the VP of marketing communication and executive creative director when you left leading a very, very large organization. I don't know, a mm -hmm. thousand and a half people or something like that. Mm -hmm. How did you grow from being a person who does the work to one who leads the work? So many people have difficulty with that transition. And you obviously love art, graphics, hands-on design. So just tell us a bit about your, your evolution as a leader to, you know, over that 18 years to uh, lead the work, lead the culture, lead the people versus doing the work. I mean, like going from a doer to a talker. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Unfortunately, I think that we, we've all made that transition, some more smoothly than others. Yeah, yeah. And some who never make it, by the way. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, you know, people would probably argue whether I made that transition successfully <laughs> or not. But um, yeah, you know, so uh, 
you know, as um, the company grew uh, and we took on more and more things, you know, the marketing communications team and the graphic design team at the time grew and we took on more and more people. Um, and uh, I think it just got to a point where we were hiring incredible talent and recruiting them from all over the world. And I think, you know, I, I, I don't know if I came up with this or someone told me this, but I just had to ask myself the question, when I'm doing it, am I actually making it better or am I just making it different? You know, and, and I, I just realized that there was so many more people that were more talented than me that can work on this stuff. And it was in the best interest of Apple to bring all these great people. Um, and then in helping to lead them and to lead the group, I think that question, you know, keeps keep kept coming up and, and how I would work on things is, is was I making it better or was I just making it different? And if I found myself just making it different, then I would just trust the teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, you know, they were so good that they would make it better. What about your experience at Apple especially prepared you for the current role you're in, global head of marketing at Airbnb? One of the things that I'm really passionate about is having in-house creative teams. And um, at Apple, we, we built a fairly large design and marketing communications group um, that eventually, you know, we had an outside agency to do the advertising, but we shared some of that as well um, in-house. And I think understanding the benefit of having an in-house group and understanding what it takes for one of those to thrive in a large organization, um, my learnings in that was really, really helpful for for where I'm at now and, and what I'm trying to do and doing it at Airbnb. There's a paradigm, I guess it's an old paradigm now, that it's difficult for creative people to stay in one company and to keep themselves you know, renewed and fresh and interested in the work. I think we've shattered that paradigm because so many companies do have in-house creative. But what have you learned about keeping a culture where these creative people who, who just want to make a difference, want to work on new things, want to keep learning, how do you keep that culture vibrant so they want to continue to be a part of it? Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. When I first started, uh, when I first graduated school and started working, as a designer, all creatives were were out of house. All creatives were for design firms and agencies, and no self respecting creative would work in house. It was kind of you know forbidden, really. <laughs> the code of creatives you never work in house. Um, but you know, after working at Apple and and building that group, I think what we realized, what I realized, what a lot of creatives that we had down there realized is that it's so much better as a creative to be more upstream and that's really what uh working in-house gets you you know is is you're much more part of the decision making process and you're not kind of thrown something over the fence to execute on and so creative is is less of a service in that way um and it's more a, a an integral part of the company and and i think you know there was this old um way of thinking where you just wouldn't get the variety where you just wouldn't be challenged as an in-house creative. But I think it's actually the opposite. I think because you are so upstream and, you know, you're involved in so many things that are far upstream from the execution that 
I think you actually use your brain in a very different way and you use the creative process in a very, very different way uh, that I think. And I think a lot of, you know, people in my boat feel like is way more fulfilling than going from project to project to project as a consultant. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's it's the upfront is where the impact is, where the conceptual thinking skills are valued mm-hmm. and where teamwork, frankly, is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and who doesn't love that? Yeah. Hey, I want to talk about your CMO role now at Airbnb. You've been there nearly two years. After, I think, what you call a rewirement with your family, a four-year <laughs> yeah. sabbatical, hiatus, whatever, <laughs> rewirement is, is the word you use. Uh, yeah. So I think we have to talk about that first. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it's, I guess, wandering the wilderness is maybe another way to put it. Um, but, uh, you know, I had kind of some expectations and thoughts that maybe doing nothing would lead to a revelation of mm-hmm. what I really what my real calling was and wanted to do. Maybe it was a midlife crisis. Maybe it was the universe. I don't know. Who knows what it was? But, uh, you know, I was hoping that doing nothing would lead me to something. But the reality is, is that doing nothing kind of leads you nowhere. (laughs) And, and, you know, at the end, it drives your family and your wife crazy. So um, I was, you know, lucky enough to have um, some friends of friends connect me to uh, Airbnb. And um, I started helping out there at the time. And, you know, then the pandemic hit and things, uh, you know, around the world went a little crazy and definitely in the travel industry. And so um, I really dove in and helped out and found it incredibly satisfying and it felt great to be needed. Um, And it felt great to be able to participate and help. Um, And, you know, I, I just really kind of fell in love with the teams and the point in time that they were in and, you know, kind of being in the center of travel and being in the center of culture and the way people live and move around the planet, you know, in in the middle of this giant pandemic was just Mm -hmm. fascinating, you know, super, super interesting. So, so I stayed and, you know, they were kind enough to um, offer me a position and I took it. Back to your little uh, rewirement first. Is there, for those who are considering that, because I thought uh-huh. about that too when I left P&G and I did not do it. And I sometimes still wonder if I had taken a bit more time to wander in the wilderness, would I have done the same thing? And it's it's impossible to answer that actually. Yeah. So is there was there a, a benefit to it for you? Do you think you came out to this place with Airbnb in part because of that? Yeah, for sure. You know, it, I think... Um, it led to just a lot of questioning around what what's important. Like, what do you want? Like, what are you looking for? You know, if you abstract away all of the executions of that, like a position doing this, a job doing that, you know, a hobby doing this, whatever, just kind of what's the core principle of what you're looking for to spend your time doing. And I think for me, it came down to just being with a group of people that I really enjoy spending my time with feeling like I'm part of a team uh, and doing something, you know, and, and I think whether it's, you know, however that manifests itself, I think that's what I really like to do. I I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of what I'm passionate about. And so here, you know, at Airbnb, it's, it's, I definitely have found that it's a group of people that are um, super passionate about the company and the mission, incredibly creative incredibly talented 
and just want to do what's right, you know, and um, are willing to risk everything and are willing to go against conventional thinking to do what's right. And, uh, you know, most of the time it seems to be right. Uh, and it's just, it's exhilarating. It's really, really fun. It's really fun. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Give us a little bit more of a window into your day-to-day life as the head, global head of marketing for Airbnb. What, how do you spend your time, Hiroki? You've now been there two years. What might surprise us by what you spend your time on? What, what insights will we get from looking at your diary for a few weeks? Uh, yeah, <laughs> chaos. Yeah. Chaos. You can see that I don't eat, and uh, yeah, I basically right. sit in my chair all day. I think that, that that's not the, good. Yeah, I know. I know. I need to. I need to do something about that. But yeah, that's um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's something we're working on. So that so my day to day. What do I do? So I spend a great deal of my time working um, with the creative and the design teams, and and the and the marketing teams as well, but. You know, the way we have it organized um, is we're very, very functionally organized around marketing, creative design and product marketing. And there's a team of us that spend a huge amount of time together just talking through our roadmap for the next six months, for the next year, um, what we're what we're seeing in the research, what kind of insights that we're pulling in, how we think that, um, you know, might affect uh, what the product teams are doing, um, you know and what insights we're getting from product teams and how that might affect the marketing and then ultimately, you know, the, the creative. But um, I, I tend to, you know, I'm a creative by trade and by training. And so I tend to gravitate more to the, to the creative side of, of all the responsibilities. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think we just spend a tremendous amount of time just talking through what's happening in the world talking through what the product teams are up to and talking through how that might show up and, you know, for regular people and, and how they might understand it. You've recently announced a really big upgrade, right? They say the biggest upgrade to your platform, your service in over a decade. So that's super interesting. And it's super interesting that we're talking to you now at the time that you're really just launching that. So could you take us a little bit behind the scenes of this change and tell us first if people haven't heard about it which i think many have what exactly are you doing and why are you doing it what was the catalyst mm. yeah you know what's 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 super interesting is you know the past 2 years all of us in the world have been through just this unbelievable amount of change you know and now with uh, this newfound flexibility that people have that, you know, I mean, we're, we're doing this all from home, from Zoom mm-hmm. now, even this podcast. Yep. And, you know, being able to live and really work anywhere is, is a huge change and it dramatically affects travel, you know. And so as we're seeing this unfold and as we're seeing how people approach travel really change on our platform, 
um, you know, we're, we're noticing things that like people don't really think of a weekend as Saturday and Sunday anymore. You know, now that you don't have to be back at home on Sunday to go back to work in a physical place on Monday, what's a Sunday? You could stay an extra day and beat traffic. You can, weekend could be from Friday to Monday. It could be Wednesday to Thursday, you know? And so when people are traveling this way, just the way they think about and the way that they approach travel is very different. They're much more flexible. They're much more open. I think people are looking for suggestions and possibility there. It's almost as if people are looking for what to do with this new flexibility and freedom. Right. And I think with that insight in that context, we started to look at how people approach booking travel. And what was really interesting is when you look at travel today, booking travel, it's done through search, right? It's just a classic search box the way you'd look for anything. But was what was really interesting is if you think about it, you the search box's job is to go and get what you type into it. And so all it really knows what to do is what you type in, right? And so... Searching for travel that way is a lot like going to an ice cream store where you don't see any of the flavors under the counter. And you have to, the person asks you, what flavor do you want? And you have to quickly come up with, you know, some flavors in your head, which are probably going to be six or seven different things. But you would never know about salted caramel or birthday cake or matcha chocolate chip, any of that stuff, because you don't know they exist. And so that was really the um, kind of the creative insight uh, and the cultural insight around uh, categories. What, what we just announced. And so it's a, it's a whole different way to really interact and search with all of our unique supply that we have. And it's presenting it in a way that as you go deeper and deeper, opens up more possibilities and is more expansive, which is really contrary to the, to the current paradigm where you ask for a result and then it narrows, 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 narrows. You know, which in the world of travel, in a flexible world, when you're thinking about possibilities, doesn't really make a lot of sense. Right? You kind of want to be more and more open and have an experience of discovery. Um, and that's that's really kind of the, the insight behind categories. It's pretty it's pretty amazing. I think I mean, just think about myself personally, I I'm actually very frustrated with travel these days for that very reason. Mm -hmm. You know, I do what you do. I I. I put something into a search bar, I start to look around and I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. And we're, you know, my wife and I are going to London and actually into the country in England in about 10 days. And I sort of planned that on my own. I talked to some people, I searched, you know, it was sloppy mm -hmm. and yeah. I wish I could have something that was much more helpful that, uh, exposed me to things that I would never think about, but probably would really, really love. Yeah. So that sounds like the insight you're on right now. And for me, that's going to work really well. What have you learned about how people are reacting to the change? I know it's very early. Yeah. Yeah. Well, extremely well. You know, I, I think the consistent comments we hear back are, wow, I didn't know Airbnb had these types of things. Wow. I never knew I could do these types of things in France. You know, the amazing thing about categories is um, let's say you're searching for a vacation in France, rather than just showing you listings of, I don't know, stays that are near where you're searching, it's going to show you categories of stays in France. So, uh, you know, we could 
we will serve up a whole bunch of um, stays related to surfing, which is one of our categories. Like, I, you know, there's a ton of surf spots in France all over the coast. We will offer up castles. You know, there's tons of castles, believe it or not, on Airbnb, a whole category worth of castles that you can look at in France. Vineyards, of course. You know, all of these things that you think are kind of interesting, but you actually never thought uh, to search for, you know, especially in the process of searching. And so what's what's great about it is that it sends you to not the same old places that you always go to or the same old mm -hmm. places that everyone else goes to. You know, you have an opportunity to discover places in France um, or all around the world that you wouldn't have otherwise known about. And, it, you know, and it's great for France because it redistributes tourism. It redistributes um uh, guests all over the place to, to hosts that aren't in the densely touristy populated areas. You know, one of the, one of the categories, a great example of this is one of my favorite categories is design. And, um, it's, you know, I don't know if people know this, but we have a ton of Frank Lloyd Wright homes on our platform. We have a ton of Le Corbusier homes, Zaha Hadid apartments, and you would never know to search for them because unless you're searching in Ann Arbor, Michigan, you would never come across some of mm -hmm. these Frank Lloyd Wright homes that, you know, if you're flexible, you may even think about just making the trip just to go check out what it's like to stay in one of these places. And so, uh, you know, I think it's just such uh, much more of an inspirational way to think about staying and think about traveling. And it opens you up to, you know, kind of the serendipity of, of discovery. That's, that's great. What else about what you're doing is new and interesting? you know, in this replatforming, this rethinking about the service of Airbnb? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is um, people really do have this newfound flexibility, which is what we're seeing. And part of that is they're willing to stay a lot more long term. You know, now that you can really live and work anywhere, people are kind of asking, well, why don't I just live and work everywhere, you know? And so we're finding that I, you know, I read some stat the other day that I think 50% of the people uh, that stay on Airbnb are staying for seven days or longer, which is crazy. And then I think one in five actually stay for 28 days or longer, which is, you know, a month. And so um, the thing that we, we found, though, is that there aren't a lot of stays that are available for that entire length of time. And so the design and engineering and product teams came up with this really novel idea called split stays, which is pretty incredible. And what it does is, um, if you're searching for some place for an extended period of time, we will also look for multiple stays that together will cover that same period of time. Now, so let's say I want to go to Kauai and go surfing for a month, um, but I can't find a, a stay that's available for 30 days. The split stays feature will find a place in, let's say, Hanlei Bay and maybe Tunnels and pair them together and present them to me already connected by their dates. So I can split my entire month across two different stays. Now, what's interesting about that is I would have never thought about that for one. And it actually sounds kind of interesting to not have to stay in one place for the entire month. Um, but also, even if I did think about that, it would have taken me, gosh, hundreds of hours to go through, look at all the stays, look at all the neighboring towns, try and find dates that are available at the same time and actually build that pairing myself. And we could do it, you know, in a snap. We think it's going to be really, really interesting. so good. Yeah, that's really cool. so good. And that's, you know, uh, 
It's also from a competitive position, it, you're doing what hotels do. It's kind of easy to match up a hotel, but now you're doing it so that you, don't, you can do, have that service on your platform. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And what's, what's great is we can present these pairings to people and it not only solves a problem of staying long term, but it also exposes possibilities to them mm-hmm. around staying in a way they probably never thought of, or maybe even in places they never even thought of before. So I think it just adds to that uh, serendipity of the experience that we love. What's your greatest hope for this restage, this new platform? As we look out two or three years from now, what's your greatest hope for this? Uh, I guess my greatest hope is that it would be, you know, people really use it and love it and think of it as a different way to look for travel. You know, travel is um, one of the most exciting, inspirational things you could do as a human. You know, it opens you up to so much in the world and it's so exciting. And for me, half the fun of traveling is actually planning, is actually dreaming, you know, about I could go here, I could go there, I could do this. And the more you dream, the more you discover, the more exciting it is. And it's, it's all part of this kind of exploration of traveling and going to other places. And so why shouldn't the experience of searching feel like that and, and be a part of that? How long did it take you, Hiroki? I mean, this must have been an, an unbelievable engineering challenge. So from the original insight that you outlined a few minutes ago, how long did it take you to design this, test it, pilot it, to give you the confidence to launch it around the world? Yeah, I, I, it's it was really fast. I mean, we have some unbelievably talented engineering and design teams at Airbnb, ridiculously talented. I mean, if you were to just imagine humanly how quickly you could do it they did it in about a third of the time so wow. it was really wow. it was really fast they they're great they're great they're incredibly smart they're incredibly talented um and we just have you know crackerjack teams at at the company that that figure this stuff out and get it done so um and you know i think you the world is changing quickly you know the pandemic is changing things has changed things and the way that people live and work is changing dramatically you know, and day by day as, as companies kind of try and come back to work or decide to work totally remotely, um, you know, things change. And the way people look at travel is changing just as quickly. And so you kind of have to move fast. All of us are part of brand restages in our careers, right, many times. And they're always interesting. They're always a bit risky. You know, more of them fail than, than those that succeed. So what have you learned in this process of, of restaging Airbnb in a way, in the biggest way in over 10 years? And my God, the company has changed so much in 10 years. So to say this is the biggest change you've done in a decade is a big statement. So what have you learned in the path to restaging the brand as you are now doing? Yeah, I guess we don't think about it so much as restaging the brand as much as refocusing uh, what we think is core to who we are. And what's most important to us, you know, I, I think the pandemic taught us a lesson in simplification. And what we're really focusing on now is, is what we do best and what people love us for, which is connecting guests to these unbelievable hosts around the world. You know, and I, I think that's our North Star is really trying to connect guests and hosts and empowering hosts. Um, 
to invite people into their communities. And I think, you know, there's something really noble and exciting about um, having people visit other communities, having people, you know, stay in other people's homes, having people walk in each other's shoes and develops understanding and it develops connection. And I think we're just, you know, that's what our North Star is, is focused on. And that's what our products are focused on. That's what our marketing is really focused on. And I think more than a restaging or um, a recasting of the brand, it really is just a refocusing on uh, what we do and what we think is important. How are you helping people be aware of this, to try it? Those who may have not been using Airbnb for a few months, how do you how are you bringing them back? What's your marketing plan to bring this 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 to life? Yeah, we have a we have a big plan that we're really excited about. So um, in a few weeks now, uh, after this is starting to roll out, you'll you'll see a huge campaign that we're rolling out. That's really about getting people to understand what this world of possibility is like with categories. Um, and you know, it's we're so confident in this in this product that the design and engineering teams have come up with. Um, and the product teams, we're, we're so confident in it that, that once you play with it and, and once you get to use it, uh, it's just really addictive. And so we, we have a great campaign that we're really, really excited about that launches in a few weeks that um, is fun. It's exciting. And it'll really kind of educate people on, on how cool this is. I look forward. You guys do a great job with your communication. So I'm totally looking forward to this in a few weeks who did you do this inside or outside yeah or no yeah it was all in-house 100 percent in-house wow. and so yeah you know there's design teams that are working closely with the in-house engineering teams that are all in-house so the product is done 100 percent in-house um you know the advertising and the marketing is all done 100 percent in-house uh even down to you know all the photography everything and so it's a completely self-sufficient um, group, small, surprisingly small, um, but incredibly talented and incredibly motivated. Hiroki, you, you start to talk a bit about how your organization is designed, but I would, I would like to take you there. I think, I think your company doesn't get enough. It gets a lot of attention in other ways, but it doesn't get enough about how you think about organizational design and culture. And I think the way you're set up as a company is really interesting, and the way you, you are set up within marketing is very forward-looking. So I'd like you to go there a bit for our listeners to talk, talk a bit about how you are designed as a total company, how marketing is designed, and why that works so damn well for you. And I think others could learn a lot from it. Sure. Uh, on, the, on the marketing side, uh, we are, we're completely functional. And so, you know, we are. What do you mean by that? Say what, say what you mean by that. Sure, sure. We are one central marketing function um, that's comprised of marketers and creatives that um, service the entire company, work with the entire company. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, you know, anything that has to do with communications and marketing around Airbnb comes through that one group, no matter how big or how small. Um, the advantage to that is you have the same team looking at everything. And, you know, we have a you know, very small, but extremely, extremely talented and experienced team. So, you know, they'll take everything incredibly seriously from a web page to an email to a global campaign. 
um, for them, you know, everything is a, is a mark of the brand. Every single touch point that someone comes into contact with us with. And so their goal is to make that feel completely consistent and, you know, best in its class. What inspired that organizational design? Is it something that another company has done? Is it the experience of your management team? Uh, what, what, you know, it's, it's a bit of an unusual organization. Most people are regional and they, they have matrixed and hybrid teams and so on. So what was the inspiration for this, for this design? I, I think it was, you know, for me, um, just personally, when it comes to the, to the marketing and to the creative teams, it, it really is the way that creatives naturally work, you know, where you have deep, deep specialties and you have teams that are, you know, they basically have the permission to do one thing and to do it really well. And then you have leaders that know how to stitch all those things together at a little bit of a higher altitude. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very much how most creative teams are set up and most creative studios are set up. But I think that way of thinking in that organization can stretch beyond just creative, you know? And so, you know, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to, um, all of the, all of the different functions within marketing, I think allowing people to have the permission to be experts and specialists, uh, is, is really, really key, you know, cause I don't think people just aren't naturally good at everything. You know, people are, people naturally just have a handful of things that they're great at and maybe one thing that they excel at or best in the world at. And I, I think an organization should be designed around specialties like that deep, deep, deep craftsmanship, and then the ability to connect all of it and create the connective tissue that, you know, that pulls it together for a campaign or for a product launch uh, or for whatever, anything as small as an email or as large as a TV spot. Do you have generalists or everyone is, it's primarily people who are specialists? We primarily have specialists. I would say the, the majority of who we have are specialists. And then we, we do have um, generalists that, uh, that know how to, how all these things fit together. Um, kind of, strategically fit together and, and tactically fit together that, that move it along. But, you know, it's the, the way I think of it is it, it's almost like the human body. Like we have organs that are just specialized at doing a very, very finite thing and they're incredibly good at it. Um, but then we have connective tissue. We have people that are kind of like the circulatory system that makes sure that information flows like blood to all of these teams. You know, and then we have a central nervous system that makes sure that, you know, all of that is functioning together and it's going in the right direction. What do you feel as you think about how Airbnb is evolving and this new view of travel and experiences? What what do you feel are your, your most important capabilities in your marketing function that you need to build or double down on or renew? what I really want to focus on is making sure that we're really tied in and close to what's happening, how people are feeling, how people are working, how people are living, how they think about family, how they think about travel, um, how they think about where they live, you know, and really staying close to that. And then also staying really close to the product teams, um, the engineering and the design teams to understand how that insights affecting the types of products that are, that, that Airbnb is making. 
you know, I think where we're doubling down is really making sure that we're understanding how people are feeling and moving and that we're, we're moving with them, you know, and kind of pointing them in the direction that they want to go and, and not trying to convince them of doing something that's unnatural. How do you do that, Hiroki, with your large team? I know it's not as big as the Apple team, but it's still, you know, a fair number of people. How do you ensure that that's valued and that you're doing it and you're staying in touch with how people are evolving, how the world's evolving? So it's it's so important, as you say, especially in Alan, especially in your category. So how do you how do you do that? You know, I think it's the usual suspects of all the different types of research, you know, um, that we commission and do, and we get a tremendous amount of data from our own service, our own app. Um, and you know, I think it's just constant conversation and as a creative, you're really taught to, um, kind of ask why constantly. And I think the, the fundamental way you ask why is by trying to overcome your own negativity bias and trying to overcome, you know, your, your desire, kind of the human desire to answer the question by saying, because that's the way it's always been done, or it'll never work that way, or we've never done that before, or, you know, there's kind of constant reasons to ask your to tell yourself, no, to tell yourself, don't do it, or to tell yourself, it can't be done. And so part of, I think, the creative process is, you know, checking your negativity bias and really pushing in on asking the why, a really open-ended question of why. And so I think, you know, having that culture within marketing and within the creative teams is, is really, really critical because as this world changes and the way people live and work change, um, you know, there's no really room for negativity bias because the way things were done before are totally irrelevant in the way that this world is changing. And so you kind of have to live in the world of why and why not. And that's kind of our approach, I guess. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a nice way to live in the world, too. <laughs> oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. Hey, Hiroki, I want to move into the creative brief, the last section of the podcast. And my first question for you is your favorite show on Apple TV. My favorite show on Apple TV. You know, I, I'm, I haven't caught up. So I've been binge watching Ted Lasso because I haven't caught yeah, up on sure. my television for so long. But yeah. right now, yeah, I just love that show. All right. Very good. Fa your favorite stay ever in an Airbnb. So our family is a big um, ski snowboard family. Mm -hmm. Actually, they're all skiers. I'm the only snowboarder. Um, but my wife found a place uh, in Brighton, Utah. And uh, it looked pretty amazing in the photos. It was this kind of log cabin. But when we showed up, it was unbelievable. And the hosts were so nice, unbelievably nice. And the place felt like it was just central casting for an all-american log cabin it was unbelievable you know and it was dead of winter so there was just mountains of snow outside uh, it's pretty magical i'm sold <laughs> <laughs> next winter <laughs> you can find it you'll you'll find it in the ski in ski out category actually i'm sure i will i'm sure i will <laughs> so what's the biggest misconception people have about airbnb and also about apple the biggest misconception. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think the biggest misconception about Airbnb people have is that we are just another tech company, you know, that um, 
we are about just kind of creating this platform and facilitating the interaction and the transaction between guests and host. And I think what they don't realize is that there's an incredible amount of people, the entire company, that really, really deeply cares about what happens during these interactions between guests and hosts. And, you know, really think every day constantly about making sure those you know, interactions turn into connections and that um, they're fulfilling for both guests and hosts and that, uh, you know, we're opening up as many hosts as possible around the world to get as many guests to visit different new communities as much as possible. And there's a very, very, very human side to how people at Airbnb think about Airbnb and about the connections and about the importance of connecting people um, that people probably don't realize is there. I love that. What about Apple? What's the biggest misconception people have about Apple? I can't speak for Apple now because it's been quite a, quite a bit of time mm-hmm. since I've yeah. been there. But back when I was there, I think the biggest misconception was that it was really easy. <laughs> mm. You know, that in my world, the marketing, the packaging, the events, the, you know, all of that stuff ended up being so simple. Uh, and was so pure that when you look at the final thing, you know, especially when it comes to like the marketing communications and the packaging, the execution seems so simple that it seemed, you know, you would always question like, well, why does it take so many people to do that? Why does it take so much time? But I think the, the process of, you know, reducing something down and whittling it down to a core message or it's simplest essence or simplest form and then investing tons of time in making sure the execution is absolutely world-class it's really hard it's really hard and it takes a lot of cycles a lot of thinking a lot of you know dropping your own negativity bias Mm -hmm. um, uh, to get there you know and it's it's deceivingly simple who has been the greatest inspiration in your life the greatest inspiration of my life. Um, you know, I know this is going to sound corny, but I, watching the kids grow up, watching the boys grow up um, has been pretty amazing, you know, because, you know, I talk a lot about like negativity bias and asking why and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, children are just born with this natural curiosity and openness and lack of bias in their thinking. And it's just so open and free and creative and imaginative and there's oftentimes like not a line between reality and imagination especially for young ones mm-hmm. um and it, it's just such a beautiful way to live you know it's just a beautiful way to approach the world and with that innocence and creativity that they have that you know you as you get older you kind of fight to retain it and fight to get it back um and it kind of gets i think the older you get the more you're burdened with life and it's hard to get back to that state of innocent creativity. And so I think seeing them live that is really, really inspirational. That's a good place to end. But I do want to ask you, where are you going surfing next with your boys? Oh, let's see. Well, it's it's uh, spring right now, which is the worst mm-hmm. time to surf. And we're heading yeah. into summer where things tend to go flat. But we have a yeah. trip that we take for Thanksgiving to Costa Rica. So that's probably our next big trip. Beautiful. We're excited about something to look forward to. Hiroki, (laughs) thank you for this discussion. Good luck on everything you were doing with your team at Airbnb. Uh, I just love it. I think it's, it's, I can't wait to experience it. And I can't wait for you to help uh, my travel planning 
and my travel experience be even better because I, I have missed it. I'm, we're now going on international trips twice in the next two months. I can't wait. And it's, it's good to be cautiously getting back into the scene. Yeah. Check out categories, Jim. You're I will. Gonna, no, for sure. You're, you're Absolutely. You're no, love I love it. that thought. I lo- <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, much more the way I like to think. Good, good. So thank you for that. Sure. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. That was my conversation with Hiroki Asai. Three takeaways from this one for your brand, business, and life. First, the importance of a rewirement or a bit of a break or a bit of a sabbatical between jobs. Hiroki, after leaving Apple, took some time to wander through the woods, he said, and think about what he wants to do with the next phase of his life. He said there was some wasted time in there, but at the end of the day, it brought him to Airbnb and a job that he absolutely loves. The second takeaway is the importance of understanding your consumer in your category. Hiroki's category is travel. They were inspired by the potential of opening up travel for people. This restage that Airbnb is doing through their platform is so based on rich, deep consumer insights. And when I asked Hiroki about the most important capability moving into the future, it was all about understanding people and the world today. So be sure in your company, you have a way to do that. Third takeaway, the importance of having an organization that is functionally designed, as Hiroki called it. His organization is centralized. It is filled with people with deep expertise and specialties. This approach to an organizational design, I think, is the way more organizations will be going. And last bonus takeaway, number four, is how to overcome negativity bias in yourself and your organization. Hiroki spoke beautifully about that. And the key lesson from Hiroki is always ask why. Never stop asking why until you've exhausted it. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.